again to another episode of Mike, Mike, and Oscar. I am your co-host, Mike One, co-host also. Mike is here, and Oscar Race Checkpoint is here for you, as well as we are still in the throes of the serious <clears throat> film festival precursors. Uh, you, what, what? what? Well, you throes said throes. Of passion? I, yeah. I, I pictured passion. I pictured, yeah. I pictured sex. I'm just going to be honest <laughs> with you. I pictured, <laughs> not you having, but yes, right. that's well, what I... I just if you, you said yeah. throws and, right. and throws of passion and then also the throws of the film festival and there are a lot of sexy films that we can talk about but yeah 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 Mike yeah you you took me off course you go now speaking of <laughs> speaking of poor things which is supposed to be supposed to be very sexy <laughs> yes one the Venice Film Festival Golden Lion the 80th uh, Venice Film Festival's main award for best film here and look Mike this is a big deal especially of late. Uh, we've had Nomadland, Joker, Roma, The Shape of Water, Brokeback Mountain, Vera Drake, some of the uh, big winners of the last 20 years. The last two years, All the Beauty and the Bloodshed, which went on to an Oscar nom- nomination in Best Doc- Documentary Feature. Otherwise, Happening was a big winner uh, from Audrey Dewan in 2021, but that did not get nominated, did not even get selected, I don't think, uh, in France for the International Feature category because to 10 was in Mm. in the mix there so yes it could go either way but poor things seemingly just having rave reviews across the board i'm very excited michael because i got my three tickets for the 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 new york film festival to see poor things is this thing gonna actually be an oscars like aren't we just a couple years removed from to 10 being too outrageous to be an international feature nominee you're skeptical and i understand that i wonder if the fact that it's Yorgos Lanthimos and the fact that it's Emma Stone. I mean, I think there's an Oscars floor to it. Like, I would be shocked at this point if uh, if various crafts or Emma Stone or Yorgos for at least screenplay, if not director, is not nominated at this point. Wouldn't you be based on Probably. this reception? Yeah, but the reception is mind-boggling to me, especially based off of the early word that I, I read about and heard and how polarizing the film was. But, yeah, you know. This is the same academy that the the Mr. Rogers documentary was considered too obscene to be nominated, you know? Well, there's no <laughs> locks know. at this point. Yeah, there's no locks, and I think that's a built-in reason because the academy has been prudish in the past. However, that was an older, whiter academy, maybe the younger, hipper, sexier academy? <laughs> Get caught in the throws. The sleeker, curvier academy. They like the throws of mm. of passion. We all like the throws. Yes. <laughs> well, <laughs> anyway, I think the uh, the Volpe Cup for uh, best actress, Kaylee Spaney or Kylie Spiney, uh, mm-hmm. of Priscilla. <laughs> I have not looked that up yet. I am mortified. I apologize uh, to I the think cast. Kaylee Spaney. Okay. I, but I'm, I'm just glad. I, 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 and I'm, I'm trying to remember if I've heard that somewhere or if I'm just making that up. I'm glad. I'm glad you think yeah. something. Yeah. Um, Doubling down on that. My mind is blank <laughs> on that. I mean, that is just like a pronunciator's uh, nightmare. Mm. The A E, the A I, the double E, right, and the N Y. I would argue that 
most things we say on the show are our pronunciation's <laughs> nightmare. So we're in good company there. But Kaylee Spaney, Kylie Spiney, does win the Volpe Cup for Best Actress from Priscilla, and she joins an elite club that's basically a ticket to at least an Oscar nomination. Four of the five past uh, Volpe Cup winners, Kate Blanchett from Tar, Penelope Cruz from Parallel Mothers, Vanessa Curry, Pieces of Woman in 2018, Olivia Coleman from The Favorite, who won the category, uh, have all gone on to at least be an Oscar nomination on Oscar Sunday. Ariane Ascaride uh, for Gloria Mundy is the lone exception there of winning the Volpe Cup in 2019. Yeah, and you go back 20 years, you got two winners in Emma Stone from La La Land and Helen Mirren from The Queen, Kate Blanchett, Imelda Staunton, Julianne Moore, uh, going all the way back to Shirley MacLaine of The Apartment. So this category is represented well uh, towards the Oscars. Now, it's like a different jury every year, but it's just a marquee spot. That's yep. why we talk about Venice and Cannes as, as having this impact on, on award season. I do wonder... If as much as of the industry is attending this year because of the strikes, so that's going to be something fair, to look at. Fair, fair pondering, I would say. I don't. I mean, does it matter, or does the headline matter? Is kind of the question, right? Yeah. And the critics are all there, so at least the critical support mm-hmm. is clear, and the critical support could be influential as well. I mean, we know that. Yeah, that's that's underscored. And again, I mean, that's those are the people who bring the headlines forth. So. And there hasn't been a shortage. We know the critics, even though how hyperbolic they may be sometimes, those are the ones apparently responsible for the standing ovation times. So they're in the room. (laughs) (laughs) That felt like forever. No minutes, just forever. All right. uh, Peter Sarsgaard. This is cool because he went to my high school of uh, memory, the movie Memory with Jessica Chastain. And uh, he has won the 2023 Volpe Cup or Wolpe Cup for Best Actor. Notable past winners include Colin Farrell last year from the Banshees of Inisherin, Willem Dafoe at Eternity's Gate. Remember that Oscar mm-hmm. race? Oh, I remember it vividly. Profile. What do we call that? Oscar Oscar profile? Oscar Sprint Profile. Oscar Sprint Profile. Wow. Anyway, Philip Seymour Hoffman. Oscar's Profile. Philip Seymour Hoffman and Joaquin Phoenix shared the award for the master in 2012 colin firth a single man david strathairn good night and good luck and javier bardem of before night falls that's one two three four five six past oscar nominees in this category since 2022 michael a lot to keep up with there for peter scars peter sarsgaard to mm. see if he can join the uh the the list of names and noms there memory is carrying an 82% on early 11 reviews on Rotten Tomatoes, 71 Metascore early. Matt Neglia, uh, his review reads, Memory is a gut-wrenching drama from Michael Franco that tackles heavily traumatic issue, heavy traumatic issues with complex characters, allowing Jessica Chastain and Peter Sarsgaard to deliver phenomenal work. Surprisingly, it might also be his least cynical and sweetest film to date, Shattering But Tender. Michel Franco has been in some... S- He's been in some I, hot I, water like in Mexico. That's like the eighth time I've called him Michael, by the way. Yeah. Well, you know, your eyesight's not great. You also think nightmare. <laughs> certain actors look like each other when it's well, hilariously wrong. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I think this movie is now on the Oscars uh, landscape and in the picture. Uh, it, there's a puzzle piece sitting by our you know, outline of the puzzle. We've gotten the corners, right? And mm-hmm. now we have a memory puzzle piece that we can put put it plug in there i think so they painted at least one puzzle piece for us i would say at least two with the the history of the volpe cup for best actress there yeah so 
that's in play. Memory is now in play. We'll have to wait and see how it goes. I think TIFF Part 2 will kind of talk about how films are playing the circuit. We'll have TIFF Part 1 today. But to finish up with Venice, best screenplay went to Pablo Lorraine from The Count, El Conde. That is uh, exciting for Netflix. You never know. I mean, Chile went in another direction with their international feature play. But Netflix has had the ability to put people forward before uh the grand jury prize went to evil does not exist the silver lion went to eo capitan which by the way received a 12 minute standing ovation uh, yeah how, didn't how cover. we missed that uh, well i think that was after what, what we okay. covered but we did miss the green border standing ovation green border won the special jury prize at venice and thanks to our pal Wojciech Weischer, uh, he's uh, been an OG MMOer, mm-hmm. and uh, he he's you know standing up for his Polish film here. At <laughs> Green Green Border had the longest of all these standing ovations, fifteen minutes. So shout out to Wojciech, and uh, uh, and we have the Venice Film Festival tally now with Green Border at fifteen. Poor thing, somewhere eight to ten. Origin, Ava DuVernay's film got a nine minute. Evil Does Not Exist, eight minutes. Priscilla, Maestro, and now Memory with seven minutes each. So Green Border wins. So therefore, Green Border is the best movie of the year. It's certainly at least the most important, as we know, the standing ovations <laughs> yes. at the film festivals are what sets apart the, the importance of film from any other. They are the most important part of any film year, yes. And we do have uh, a synopsis and some reviews for Green Border. Carries an 86% on 14 early Rotten Tomato reviews right now and 83 Metascore. Synopsis says it follows a family of Syrian refugees, an English teacher from Afghanistan, and a border guard. They all meet on the Polish-Belarusian border during the most recent humanitarian crisis in Belarus. Uh, Jessica Yang for Variety says Green Border is a heart-in-mouth thriller set on the Polish-Belarusian border that wraps its social critique in the razor wire of punchy, intelligent, cinematic craft in order to elicit precisely such emotions. A lot of $10 words there. Yeah, otherwise, Josh Parnum of Next Beck's Picture, he writes, while some viewpoints on this conflict are more valued than others, it's hard not to deny this profound examination. It's sadly a necessary commentary, and here it is brought to the forefront with horrifying scrutiny. So Green Border, probably in the mix now, an international feature. Uh, Agnieszka Holland uh, has been a ter- terrific director in the past she's been in play in that category in the past so that you know how the academy loves their auteurs she could be in the mix now and that's you know that's something that's going to shape out over these next few weeks as we kind of declare the winners and the losers of these fest- festivals especially the international ones michael of who's going to contend in that international feature category uh, i wonder if this next movie that we were you know we start tiff reactions off with will be eligible for well i'm sorry no it won't because I, japan picked something else now i forgot i forgot P- japan picked perfect days so the boy and the heron will be in the mix for animated feature glad i caught myself there eventually and perfect days will be japan's selection but the okay. boy and the heron well that's that's let's slow down here i have my first prop bet of the episode and it's about international feature and i'm glad you clarified about the boy and the heron though because i was going to say i don't i can't remember if japan picked something or not so i, threw I that in have there, no prop bets for you in this episode i forgot that's fine i'll cover it i have two you could have one of mine and actually this works out because i'm forcing you to play the house in my first prop bet anyway okay so 
it's fine. But uh, it's about international feature, and the the TIFF and uh, Venice offerings, the Slates have had a lot of international and worldly offerings like they usually do. Uh, you already mentioned some that can't be nominated or that their countries have picked other nominees. But just really quick and dirty, you play the house here. How many eventual international feature nominees do you think were screened at Venice or TIFF? And I just want you to give me the odds. Yeah, I put the over under at 1.5. What would you give me the odds for the over 1.5? So we've seen at least two eventual international feature nominees at both of these festivals. Minus 50,000. Really? That high? Yes. See, I didn't know how high to go with that. I didn't know how you're with the international feature. Minus 100,000. <laughs> so where's where's the reasonable line then? Would it be like three and a half, two and a half? Three and a half, we're getting closer, but I would say even four and a half. Like if most you of think these, we've seen them all. Most of these movies will have played at either one of those two festivals. So I if it's think. let's say it's three and a half, over three and a half, what odds would you give it? I would still probably be like minus eight hundred or something, minus a thousand. Yeah. So what would you do for under three and a half? Uh, plus a thousand, plus okay. eight hundred, plus five hundred. If I'm trying minus. to screw you. Okay, plus 500. We'll do that. You're the house. You're trying to screw us always. I hate you. Uh, so minus 800 for over three and a half and plus 500 for under three and a half eventual international feature nominees. What about over four and a half? I'm just curious. What, what would be the oh, the over? What would be the under four and a half for you if we've seen less than five nominees thus far in international feature? Still like minus 200, minus 100 maybe? No, the under, under. What would you give the under? Oh, the, the under? Mm-hmm. Uh, if we've not seen all the interna- the eventual international feature noms. Plus 300? Okay. All and right. Minus 200 the over. Like, we probably saw all five there. This is why I, I wanted you to be the house, because you're mu- much more versed in this than I am, but it was something I was thinking about. I, need, I wanted to know, like, how complete do you think this category is thus far? And you think it's pretty much what, what, what we're going to get has already been out there. You know, there's a chance that one or two movies are not out there, but it's... It's very likely, just based on past history, I would think. Okay. But, I, I mean, I don't know. I haven't done cross-checked at all. I mean, there's typically a late late breaker in the international feature category as well. But, I mean, look at it. That's what right I on thought, but that's front. why I was surprised for you to say four and a half there. Yeah. But I don't I don't know the, few, the category as well as you do, historically. Well, I don't have a lot of money of my own. <laughs> and the money I do have, I don't wager much of it. So you're I, the you're the better big better. Uh-huh. So it's, I it's not been going it's not been going well since the NFL <laughs> season started. Uh, I only have one other prop bet and it's coming in short order, but we can talk about the boy and the heron uh, first. It does carry an early 100 percent on 35 Rotten Tomato reviews and 89 Metascore, both incredibly high. Studio Ghibli and G Kids are behind this. Uh, it's going to theaters on the 8th of December through encounters with his friends and uncle. Follows a teenage boy's psychological development. He enters a magical world with a talking gray heron after finding an abandoned tower in his new town. David Ehrlich loved this. <laughs> the Boy and the Heron. Miyazaki's final movie is a masterpiece. Who is this man, David Ehrlich? <laughs> the work of an immortal man preparing for his own death. It may not reach the soaring heights of the wind, the wind rises, but it resolves into an even more perfect swan song. Clayton Davis was also a big fan, Mike. Yeah, I think uh, I think 
it's fitting that David Ehrlich loves Miyazaki at this point. I, I just, I, I'll, I'll explain why in a second. Clayton Davis of Variety, he says, The Boy and the Heron is a deep parable of loss and beauty. Sure feels like Hayao Miyazaki's farewell letter to the medium. Felt like his take on where the wild things meets the tree of like life. Gorgeous mu- music. And watching this movie on shrooms must be wild. And that's why I would say David Ehrlich is... Uh, is is the type of critic that if he knows those many words, he's probably he's probably opened his mind, mm. and that's why I think like I just rewatched Spirited Away for the upteenth time, and and really the second time in the last few months, I showed it to uh, my brother, uh, who who didn't know how to feel afterwards. He's like, I loved it, but I don't know if I. <laughs> I don't know what it meant. It, but now I hate you. I expected it to be Pixar. This was not Pixar, Mike. Mm-hmm. No, it's not. <laughs> so I uh, I really appreciated the fact that David Ehrlich loves this. And and, and 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 all of you out there, all you eclectic weirdos that loves Miyazaki's work that much, you must... I, I want with you what you're smoking. I mm. really do. No, but I... <laughs> I can't really smoke anymore myself, but I love I love uh, the boy in the hair in the trailer. I love that it's got such a great you know set of reviews here already. This is the best situation for animated feature. What we were talking about, Mike, in our wish list episode. And animated feature is where I do have our second prop bet here of the episode. It's going to be the last one, but I okay. High marks for Spider Verse. Mm-hmm. High marks for the boy in the heron. Have we seen the animated feature winner between these two? So the animated feature winner, I'm going to give you The Boy and the Heron and Spider-Verse. The eventual winner of the category, I'll give you those two at minus 1,000. Pretty prohibitive to bet. And I'll give you the rest of the field, any other animated feature movie, for plus 400. Wow. Eh, I'm not not taking your plus 400. You'd have to give me plus 1,000. I can't do that. Well, you're you're an I'm trying evil, to, evil trying house. to build these big buildings here. You're like Will Ferrell and <laughs> Amy Poehler. Amy Poehler from yeah. The House. Right. It's not a fair. Four hundred isn't enticing enough. Would you do it for five hundred? No, I would. I at a, at plus a thousand, I'd start to think about it. But even then, yeah, I would resist those odds. Like you could not resist those odds. David could not resist those odds. <laughs> but I could resist those odds. So you, you'd have to go probably up to. Maybe plus ah, fifteen hundred to two thousand for me Get to actually the put. Fuck out yeah, because I, I good, but, get out of my casino. <laughs> across the Spider Verse is probably going to win, and if it doesn't, it's the Boy and the Heron. The only possibility otherwise is probably Wish. If Wish is, you know, right, a return to we form, know so little about it. Disney. Yeah, I agree. But yeah, and, I'm with you. I think I think it's those two, and it'll be fun if I. I you would say Spider Verse is probably the leader. Oh yeah, yeah. Spider Verse was fun awesome. if if uh, Boy and the Heron can get that kind of momentum behind it. Maybe it can be Miyazaki's final film. The, right? If it's his final film, the narrative is there. So right. the, the Boy and the Heron, if it opens here well enough, mm-hmm. it's going to start to factor in. Again, I just wonder if the film festival darlings mean as much this year. If the industry went, that's what It'll I be wonder. Very very interesting to see that. Well, let's talk about a potential best picture, best actor contender that is emerging right now and that's american fiction of mgm we have 100 percent on 16 rotten tomato reviews and 83 meta score this comes out late november cord jefferson 
writer director of the good place watchman which was uh, you know an emmy magnet master of none which was an emmy magnet we have jeffrey wright in the lead role i believe he's playing thelonious monk ellison uh in this film tracy ellis ross sterling k brown Issa ray adam brody john ortiz Jeffrey, uh, we, I mean, look, we've, we've gone over the prop, plot premise a few times, but basically it's like he is a uh, ghostwriter. He's ghostwriting a, a novel as, as some anonymous first-time writer, and, and, he, and he's a you know, well-selling writer at that point, and he's trying to show the, uh, the hypocrisies of the business of the publishing business. So here's some reviews. Jordan Hoffman of The Messenger says, American fiction is a hybrid of rich family drama and sharp satire, hilarious but never silly, emotional but never manipulative. And then uh, Lovia Guarki of The Hollywood Reporter writes, American American fiction is smart and thanks to its fine cast, has genuine heart. I think it was from World of Real I was reading a a review of this movie and it starts off with Jeffrey Wright being a teacher and writing the N-word on a Mm. board. And one of the white students getting offended by it and him saying to, to the, the student, if I can get over it, I, I assure you, you can. And then he gets wow. suspended because of it. Oh, what? <laughs> so oh, wow. that's, that's how the movie begins anyway. But yeah, I mean, obviously, if you're any kind of cinephile, this, the cast is going to catch your eye. It did mine. A lot of MMO favorites here to go along with the positive press and reviews. Uh, you got Jeffrey Wright, of course, but also Tracy Ellis Ross, John Ortiz, Keith David, the man, the myth, the MMO award winner and future Oscar winner Sterling K. Brown is in this. So mm. this is something that is very high, should be very high on our list just by default, never mind the positive uh, reviews that have immediately come. Sterling K. Brown's last possibility was Waves, was it? Did he, did he get close ever yet? I mean, Jeffrey Wright's been like banging on been the door. Been in the conversation. Yeah. So Jeffrey Wright. He's been he's been in the mix now for years. Not taking your calls anymore, Wes Anderson. All right, you write him a juicy enough piece. He'll he'll be in your next film. But other than that, no more. I love that speech he gave. That's my speech. Uh, <laughs> dumb money. We'll move on to dumb money. Another potential contender here. Eighty six percent on thirty seven Rotten Tomato reviews. This will come out the end of November, pretty soon. Well, uh, limited the mid middle of uh, September, not November. And then we have. The Metascore, Michael, which is kind of low for dumb mm. money, sixty-six. What do you make? I, uh, what do you make of that? Those numbers before we start here. Well, what I make of it is I'm putting my conspiracy theory hat on. And one of the uh, there's been a lot written about this movie, and first and foremost, the hedge fund manager played by Nick Offerman, Ken Griffin, who in real life is the creator of the famous Citadel hedge fund is basically in crisis mode and he's hired multiple law firms and he's trying to pressure Sony in multiple ways, uh, using multiple outlets, uh, threatening lawsuits and all this other stuff because I guess to billionaires, freedom of speech is only a rallying cry when it comes to one of your buddies buying a social media site to unban the MAGA party. That's neither here nor there. Uh, This was written up. I want to say, was this, I forget where I read it. Somehow it was, it's a reputable outlet. I can't remember. Um, I would not put it beyond knowing how billionaires such as Peter Thiel have operated behind the scenes uh, in recent doings. I would not put it beyond a billionaire who is trying to bring down a movie to find a way to review bombard a movie that he's trying to kill. Hmm. I don't know. I, I mean, that is purely speculation, obviously. But I've seen pretty much nothing but at least favorable reviews from this otherwise. So I don't know that this isn't something that's being a little fixed 
man, you really got the tinfoil. Yeah, hat it's, right it's now. total well, conspiracy theory. The me. three people I'm on a site right now did not get bought off by uh, this dude <laughs> because Karen James of BBC.com, she writes, as Gillespie demonstrated with Itania, he has a feel for the texture of working class lives and hopes depicted with sympathy and not a whiff of condescension. We have the pleasant surprise of dumb money is that it's such an effective entertainment, even if it oversells the revolutionary impact of what it's depicting. That was New York Magazine's Allison Whitmore. And then Martin Sigh of the Rap. High praise saying, intentional or not, dumb money has emerged as the first definitive portrait of the COVID era. So that's what I mean. I've seen a lot of reviews from a lot of reputable out, uh, sources and outlets saying a lot of positive things about this. I've not seen so much with the negative. And by the way, that the story about, I'm so sorry I didn't write it down, but the story about Ken Griffin comes from Puck News, comes from Matt Bellany uh, directly. That's, that's from his Puck website. And he has all the backstory about that, which is a great read. Um, so hmm. there is a disconnect between the score there having to do with critics and what actually I've seen and you've seen, and I think everyone's seen, but we'll get our hands on it. We'll do it for ourselves. It's one we've been looking forward to for a while. Uh, there was another article written in Vulture by Nate Jones, who goes through the steps as to how a movie depicting real life events can be made and premiere in such short order after the actual real life occurrence of the event. I think it's a must read. It sheds light on the time frame in which this movie came together. It had only six weeks of pre-production and only 31 days of shooting. Uh, it had it shed light on the crew's actual attachment to the subject matter. Craig Gillespie's son, 24-year-old son, was an actual stonk meme stock trader, and he actually made money on the GameStop event that happened <laughs> in real life. So he had firsthand, uh, you know, perspective from seeing somebody actually trade on wow. being a day trader and waking up at 6 a.m. and checking the pre-markets and all that. Uh, and it also even talked about the work needed to fit all the big names into this ensemble piece. Pete Davidson has a big dinner scene that they only had two hours to shoot between Davidson needing to get back and forth for his uh, his Peacock show, back to shooting for, for that. So really do highly recommend. Go seek out that Vulture article by Nate Jones. Go seek out the, uh, the Ken Griffin article on Puck by Matt Bellany. Great stuff being written about dumb money thus far. So years ago, a thing about these festivals were was the the old school Oscar player like I don't know. I mean, Jojo Rabbit was the most recent example of a, a you know the Taika Waititi movie that was a hit with the public, was a hit with critics later after its you know its its festival awards was the hit with the audience at TIFF eventually, but its initial reception from the critics was bad. Is what I'm trying to say. Mm-hmm. Dumb money. I wouldn't call this a tepid reception, but I'm wondering if Dumb Money or Next Goal wins, which one of these films is going to hit better with the with you know number one audiences and Academy members than it does with critics. Like, which movie is that going to be? Could it be Dumb Money with an end of September release if it's a hit? Could it be? Could it be the, the, a narrative where oh, this big bad billionaire is coming after it in Strike Era? You know, and this movie is a hit with audiences despite that. And, you know, maybe that catches uh, catches flint, you know, fire with, with the, uh, the SAG-AFTRA and WGA strikers who are voting for Oscars later in the year. If the story is told well enough, we've seen these types of things connect. With, mm. you know, Spotlight and The Big Short, and we've seen them also not connect with the, or at least not connect for awards purposes, uh, with the the Mark Wahlberg Boston Marathon bombing movie. And so, I mean, there is, you know, All the President's Men is an example of it connecting. There is, 
uh, this tightrope to walk. So uh, you're right. The public does have to get behind it. Mm-hmm. We've seen the public get behind a story like this where it's David versus the big bad corporate Goliath. I'm hopeful. Yeah, this might be the the timing for dumb money, but we'll we'll have to wait and see. We're hyping it up because it might be our one September. <laughs> they, they should hold profile. it out for two days. Just release it on the first <laughs> instead. All right, we have the Teachers Lounge, which will be Germany's best international feature selection, a hundred percent on eleven Rotten Tomato reviews. When one of her students is suspected of theft, teacher Carla Nowak uh, decides to get to the bottom of the matter. Caught between her ideals and the school system, the consequence of her actions threaten to break her <laughs> the teacher's lounge delivers you directly into a sense memory of chalk dust and boredom of fidgeting at your desk and gazing longingly through big windows that seem tauntingly designed for exactly that purpose that's jessica kang of variety and i love some of these reviews does that Just, mean she was bored or does that mean it's authentic it harkens us all back to school i would say <laughs> for good or for ill anyway you got hannah b's from i don't throat, know what that means though <laughs> what does that review mean it, it means it you- makes you feel like you're back in school for but good or for good ill thing? i don't know it's both it could be both Hannah B, a film threat. I'm very confused. The Teacher's Lounge is a great film about schools and educators clearly establishing what we all already know, that being a teacher is often a thankless job, but being a student is equally thankless for some. Hmm. That I understand. Well, I mean, it was a pull quote, man. You got to read the whole Variety Review, I guess. Pass. From Jessica. (laughs) But 100%. Right now on 11 Reviews, the Teacher's Lounge. We'll move on to the Royal Hotel, which will also have a trailer from Kitty Green and Neon. 94% on 17 Rotten Tomato Reviews. A 76 Metascore, the Royal Hotel will come out at the beginning of October on the 6th. Kitty Green of The Assistant, Julia Garner of the same film, and of course Ozark, Jessica Henwick, Hugo Weaving of several Matrix, Matrix films. Michael, we've been talking about this premise for a while. It was vaguer than it is now. Right now, it's much clearer. U.S. backpackers Hannah and Liv take a job in a remote Australian pub for some extra cash and are confronted with a bunch of unruly locals in a situation that grows rapidly out of their control. They didn't say that before. No, they, they didn't. Uh, well, we'll get to your... Your comparison in a moment. Esther Zuckerman from Vanity Fair, Laughter and Wales are almost interchangeable. That tension makes the film excruciating but exciting. Like the characters, the viewer has to try to suss out what is a danger and what is just a good time. And Mark Ash of Little White Lies. Two features into her own career as a fiction filmmaker. It's safe to call Green a master of the microaggression. Wow. So we watched this trailer. Mm -hmm. This is not Cocktail. (laughs) Okay. Not. (laughs) Well, this... (laughs) Okay, look, <laughs> it's not if, cocktail, Michael. Well, wait, I know what you wait. wrote here, but it, that's not co- it's not cocktail. It's more like what was that? Uh, what was that movie that was like your favorite horror movie two years ago? It reminded me of that. What was that movie on on Shutter? Please, can you give me? Oh, 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 um, yeah, terrifying. Here we go. Oh boy, <laughs> you say things now. Look it up. <laughs> Shutter horror movies that remind me of this trailer. I know what I, yeah, it was a great that I, movie. Whose names I can't think of are as follows. The Son one with the family and the kids. Bitch. Visited the. Oh. <laughs> it's all your favorite movie. Speak no evil. Speak no evil. Good God. That was horrible. <laughs> <laughs> 
What? That was the worst I've ever been on any recall. Speak no evil. Yes. Speak no evil was not cocktail. Okay. Well, no, but the the joke I made is that I feel like that you would feel differently if Bob Seger was the score for this instead of the piano. But in all seriousness, I don't know if I would <laughs> because I would feel <laughs> as though Bob Seger. Off the shelf. I would feel like he's seventy eight year old years old and he was tricked. <laughs> and I would also feel like it's the most meta use of music ever. And the, the, it, cu- it boils back down to the fact that Kitty Green, we were told, did like a fun thriller at the beginning of this. At least that's what I read. And she was going a different direction of the assistant. But this is more like the assistant. This is a thriller in, from what everything I've read. And mm-hmm. the reviews say that, too. But I don't know what the. I, why can't I think of the word right now, Mike? Uh, the bad guy in every movie. The uh, antagonist. Thank you. Good Lord almighty. Words. I don't know what the antagonism necessarily is. Is the antagonism actually the townspeople? Yes. Or is it or is it just what's going on in in the mind of Julia Garner that she's seeing all these things and they they come off as menacing to her but in actuality they're not. And actually one of the reviews kind of lends itself to that. I would guess that it's the locals because of that big scene at the end here. But the only aggressive thing we've seen from a locals is a guy like yeah, kicking a chair because he gets kicked out of the bar. Yeah. No, we he's don't really being a, see any. He's being disgusting. It's all microaggressions anyway. I, look, I yeah, I, I, I buy that that's probably what happens. And I all, wholeheartedly buy that is certainly what the trailer wants you to believe. But I am just so in my own conspiratorial head right now with this episode for some reason that I'm like, well, what if it's not? I, I don't know. Maybe it is not. But, you know, working in a bar for years myself, I mean, you get those rowdy nights, the belligerent yeah. drunks. And, yeah, I mean, it seems like eerily familiar to a lot of people. And that's maybe why it sucks you in. It sucks you in because it seems more ordinary and then mm. it's going to pack a wallop. Could be. This is one that's coming to theaters. This isn't a, a straight to VOD. No, I think it's coming to theaters from Neon. Good. I'm I'm going to be interested to see how this one plays off as far as uh, yeah box office goes. Me too. But uh, we do have Reptile, which will be going to streaming eventually. Not doing so well. This was a movie we were very hopeful for after the trailer with Benicio Del Toro, Justin Timber- Timberlake, and the murder mystery written and directed by Grant Singer. Uh, 40% on 10 Rotten Tomato reviews, a 46 Metascore, only from one critic, so maybe this could rebound Reptile. But Robert Daniels of IndieWire, he's a guy I trust. He's been writing for a bunch of outlets over the years. Reptile wants to be a David Fincher procedural with Steven Soderbergh's Paranoia but it is merely fangless, oh boy, it is merely a fangless homage with suspense, logic, or shame. Without he, suspense, logic, or shame there. Without. He wrote that much better than I read that. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, again, Justin Timberlake has the best team in the business because it doesn't matter what Reptile is anymore after last night and the VMAs and NSYNC reuniting on stage and fueling rumors even more about their uh, reunion tour coming to be. So, you know. Reptile was just to get the the juices flowing, and this is timed out perfectly by Justin Timberlake's team. This is now an afterthought on his career and his CV because everyone's just waiting for that tour to be announced. So, well, there you go. Good uh, job well, by them. Let's move on to Lee. Seventy five percent on eight Rotten Tomatoes scores, fifty nine Metascore from only four critics though. So we'll see if Lee can figure 
itself out, at least in terms of its reception. It's not, I don't think it even has a distributor yet, but we'll talk about it. The story of photographer Elizabeth Lee Miller, a fashion model who became an acclaimed war correspondent for Vogue magazine during World War II, Michael. Uh, Wendy Eyed of Screen International, a satisfyingly textured portrait of a remarkable and unusual woman who had an almost zealig-like gift for bearing witness to key moments in history. And Matt Neglia there again. Uh, Lee is undoubtedly meant to be a showcase for the incredible Kate Winslet. Unfortunately, her conventionally told passion project doesn't fully service her talents until the film's harrowing third act, Andy Samberg, surprises with his most nuanced work yet, a middling war biopic. So this was one of those, like, tag team of all previously nominated and previous winners, best actress winners, were coming together. You had Marion mm-hmm. Cotillard, you had uh, Andrea Riseborough, and Kate Winslet. You had Andy Sandberg as as this. You know that he has a big part in that. One of the Scars Guards is in this. I don't remember who. Might have been a Scars. No, it's a Scars Guard. You too had many, too many guards. You had a lot of uh, potential here. You have a really, uh, really acclaimed. Cinematographer turned director and Ellen Kuras. So these reviews are not great for its Oscar chances, especially when something like Lee probably needed Oscar contention to do well. Or can you see this still getting picked up because people can't get enough of World War II stories, especially you so those as unique as this one with big names in it? I was going to say, it seems I, I would love to do a study one day of war films war ensemble films that are going for oscars that fall woefully short and i don't know if that lee is going to be one of those but all i was thinking about was like fury during this the uh whiskey tango foxtrot the tina fey one during this well that was she's the reporter that wasn't world war ii was it no it wasn't but it was a war time okay it, she was in the field of, of one of the wars but it was not world war ii no you're correct um but i just the idea of these ensemble because i think margot robbie was in that one with her if i'm not mistaken but i could be wrong um but just the idea of these these big uh, ensemble pieces centered around a war, uh, all, the difference between what makes them yeah, something like I, you know Saving Private Ryan versus what makes it something like what Lee is kind of shaping up to be early. I feel like this is a research project that you're delegating to me. I'm not. No, I am not. I am not. I want it on record. I am not doing that. <laughs> This feels like a delegation. <laughs> Absolutely right. not. Well, speaking of World War II adjacent stories, uh, One Life. This is the Anthony Hopkins starrer with Helena Bottom Carter, Johnny Flynn, and Jonathan Price, directed by James Hawes of Slow Horses. That was the Apple TV Plus show. One Life has 90% on Rotten Tomatoes right now, 10 reviews, but only a 61 meta score. Joey Magison writes, One Life tells an incredible true story with the restraint and humility of its subject. That being said, when the big moment comes, you will blubber. I sure did. And then we have Sophie Sophie Monks Kaufman of IndieWire writes, uh, the undeniably moving nature of Winton and his associates' deeds swell the narrative with rich emotional currents. However, the film's bid for consistent quality is kneecapped by a ridiculously on-the-nose script. What do you make of the one life reception, Michael? Not, I expected much higher across the board, mm-hmm. especially from the way the, the punditry and the predictors had some of the, you know, whether it was Anthony Hopkins or the screenplay had those positioned in their Oscars uh, uh, rankings or predictions or whatever you want to call them. I, I expected this to be more universally well-received because it's such a, 
unique story and yes. a heartfelt one. And I remember this actual yeah, me too. thing playing out, this actual uh, reality show or talk show playing out back in the day. I didn't watch it, but I remember like watching news right. on it. And, you know, after watching this trailer, you, you know this movie is going to have that, that crowd-pleasing ending ending which may erase the rest of the movie for all of us right sure no matter how good it is so that could play on the academy we've seen less manipulative films (laughs) play on the academy in the past well i feel like the as much as past lives we said the score should be praised for not being manipulative this is the exact other end of the spectrum because this is a very manipulative score at least for the trailer that piano beat and what's going on in the context of the scene of him being at the talk show and the slow turnaround and all that i mean this was i i was just had goosebumps by the end of it that's also why the meta score being so middling is kind of like wow okay i'm just being played here yeah i'm very suspicious now of one life as this four quadrant contender but it also seemed like way more of a showcase for johnny flynn than it it did anthony hopkins to me i love johnny flynn he was in emma he was great and guard for syracuse back in the day (laughs) he was overdrafted but no (laughs) i think uh i think one life could still be what i you know talked about earlier could be that movie that maybe doesn't hit the critics as well as it hits the academy slash audience sure absolutely Um, possible Next goal wins. Let's talk about next goal wins. 59% on 17 Rotten Tomato reviews. A terrible 47 meta score on four critical uh, reviews there on IMDb. Two positive reviews. Let's start there. Diego Andaluz of Discussing Film, friend of MMO. We appreciate him, especially on Twitter there. Next mm-hmm. goal wins is a solid crowd pleaser that marks a return to form for Taika Watiti. While it doesn't reach the heights of his best work, it still shines with a joyful blend of humor and heart. A flawed yet compelling underdog story that's worth a watch. And then we have Pete Hammond of Deadline Hollywood writing, ultimately this is a film pretty true to the documentary, but one Waititi has infused with so much heart and his quirky sense of humor that it stands as a nice original on its own. We'll counterbalance those with two maybe not-so-positive reviews. This is from Esther Zuckerman of IndieWire. It's still a pleasure, pleasure to watch actors like Kitely and House Bicker and to see a star such as Kaimana emerge. And yet, Next Goal Wins is largely a misfire, one that's too unwilling to stop kidding around for even the most important of moments, uh... Loyla Yarkey from The Hollywood Reporter follows that up, leaning almost exclusively on comedy. Waititi shortchanges his characters. He presents their developments in fits and spurts, which translates to a choppy narrative rhythm. So we're big Taika fans, and I'm mm-hmm. watching these this uh, internet reception play out, and I'm reading a lot of these first reactions, and a lot of them are like, it's almost too funny. The movie's too funny, and there's not enough characterization. <laughs> and I was like... What do you mean it's too funny? Like, people are getting on Bottoms, and I'm, I love Bottoms, and Bottoms is just too funny. Like, maybe it's just great comedy. But uh, So I'm, I'm looking at it from that lens, but then again, I could see it if you look back to Thor, Love, and Thunder. Thor, Love, and Thunder was very funny for us, and we forgave it a lot of sins because it yes. was very funny for us. But maybe, yeah, I mean, maybe it's not as good of a story. But that's also a great example of how something can be, like, why we understand what too funny means, right? Because the gravitas of a type of villain that Christian Bale could have been in that movie Mm -hmm. was kind of undercut by how many jokes there were. 
Yeah, and look, there's some red flags with next goal wins. We have the fact that its production history has been turbulent, to say the least. Mm-hmm. They they rewrote Army Hammer out of the movie for good reason, because he's a nightmare. Replaced and, him with Will Arnett. <laughs> right, and they they're like one scene, so it's just been this turbulent production that we've been previewing for three years, for Christ's yeah. sake. And then they, they have this potential for a quote-unquote white savior narrative that if they bungle it, it's going to be aggravating to everybody. You know, it's a true story, but if it's about the one white guy when it should be about the representation of, of this football team in New Zealand, right? I mean, shouldn't shouldn't we be a little worried if they if they bungle that? I mean, it's going to be it's going to be an I'm issue. Re- I'm reminded of last year. I think it was even during a Hollywood Reporter reception, or maybe it was earlier this year. I can't remember, but I know Taika Waititi was given some award. Uh, and it was at like a diversity in Hollywood type gathering. And he gave a speech in the acceptance and he was like, just stop asking us how to fix it. <laughs> like, <laughs> We're tired of answering the questions of how to fix it. Stop asking us. Just let it be. And you need to ask yourself how to fix it. <laughs> so I, I don't know that if it is a white savior thing, I don't know that it's even something that he's going to want to hear because that's clearly not his intent. And I think Ta- Taika Waititi has established enough of a resume right. to Good. prove that's not what he's going for anyway so and that's why i've been predicting it the, yeah. even still but yeah this is not the reception you hope for right. maybe there's a jojo rabbit rebound for next goal wins still and i'm still very curious to see it in november so you never know but yeah not looking good right now for next goal wins we'll move on to what might be a sneaky contender in dream scenario i equally surprised about dream scenario as i am surprised right. about next goal wins 92 percent on 13 rotten tomato reviews 80 meta score on seven critical uh entries there nicholas cage julianne nicholson a hapless family man finds his life turned upside down when millions of strangers suddenly start seeing him in their dreams when his nighttime appearances take a nightmarish turn paul is forced to navigate his newfound stardom michael okay so this was first pitched as nicholas cage is in everyone's dreams which Mm -hmm. is a nightmare scenario to me (laughs) but if now this is going to be some guy unwittingly is thrust into the role of freddy krueger against his will (laughs) i'm all for it and that guy is nicholas cage yeah sign me up uh, Kevin L. Lee of Awards Watch, in a long career full of unorthodox titles and creative choices, Nicolas Cage has never been funnier and more heartbreaking than he is here. And David Ehrlich of Our Boy Here, Dream Scenario is simply the best absurdist comedy of its kind since Animal Lisa. What happened to David Ehrlich? <laughs> David Ehrlich. Uh, he must be in love. That's the only. <laughs> he must be in love. He's Twitter pated. That's the only explanation. Now we know. Might even be true. even the the most cantankerous of critics. <laughs> no, he he's, he loves what he loves. And anomalies or animal. I don't got God how to pronounce that yes. one. Yeah. Assume yeah, assume we're gonna just keep pronouncing things like we, we know we're wrong. We're sorry. It's a ten page document. We can't look up all this stuff. I just I can't. I've I've been mispronouncing anomalisa for years, so I'm not gonna anomalisa anomalisa right. Anna, Molisa. <laughs> Dream scenario as off the wall as it could be, or as off the wall as it is, could, with a concerted A24 push, absolutely land Cage his third nomination. That's crazy. 
That is from Scott Feinberg of The Hollywood Reporter. He wrote a piece that this is indeed potentially a sneaky contender, and he writes that it's an instant classic, and neither performances nor screenplays come much more original than these. I'm going to be excited to talk to Scott about that come awards time if, if, if Dream Scenario is still in the hunt there. Who has the meme internet culture done more good for between Nicolas Cage and Keanu Reeves, you think? I just... I love that Nicolas Cage has rebounded by all of these by all of these meme culture moments <laughs> slash all of these weird indie movies and now with Pig and Dream Scenario mm-hmm. and the dude is just Mandy Mandy and we had the uh the movie where he played himself Mhm the unbearable un- massive, massive weight unbearable talent no that unbearable, be- weight, unbearable of weight of talent. massive talent wow if you screw up those adjectives that's a very different movie the unbearable talent of massive weight <laughs> the massive weight of unbearable that talent. won the oscar last year though yeah for brendan fraser <laughs> jesus christ that might be your most dad dad joke ever getcha the dead don't hurt talk about dad jokey premises for very serious things set in the 1860s the film stars vicky creeps as the fiercely independent french canadian vivienne lacaudi lacaudi who embarks on a relationship with danish immigrant holger olsen this is written directed and starring uh vigo mortensen 88 percent on eight rotten tomato reviews michael Frank Sheck of THR featuring excellent performances from its two leads. The film is a Western for people who don't like Westerns. That Hmm. might be me. Natalie Winkleman of IndieWire in squandering the natural beauty of its setting and failing to imbue its central relationship with feeling this big swing of a film feels less epic than perfunctory. I thought the Equalizer... Sorry, I thought the Equalizer 3 was a Western for people who don't like Westerns. Uh, Or Django, yep. (laughs) Well, that was a Western. Ah, come on. Don't make that me was do a, that. That was a ah, ah. I took too many <laughs> freshman <laughs> literature classes to know that was still a Western. I don't want to like a Western. <laughs> Man. All right. So we have some sneaky contenders there at the end. I do want to take... Uh, a, a TIFF Part 2 segment on our next episode to, su- to discuss some more potential surprise hits. Tombstone His- wasn't that good. Tombstone wasn't that good. I'll agree with you there. Right. Unforgiven's still pretty good. I just reviewed that. Unforgiven was fine. <laughs> anyway, there's good westerns. Surprise hits. Name seven. Uh, <laughs> no, the no, man I'm who kidding. shot Liberty I'm Bounds. I'm kidding. I'm Unforgiven. Kidding. Uh, <laughs> Shane. Anyway. Shane? Surprise hits from Tiff. We want to isolate those next episode. His three daughters, Sing Sing, Woman of the Hour, Do Not Expect Too Much from the End of the World. Those are starting to show themselves as some potential surprise hits. We got international feature possibilities like Concrete Utopia, The Monk and the Gun. We have uh, potential documentary contenders like The Contestant, Sorry Not Sorry, uh, a bunch of films that, that are still playing. They shot the piano player, Mountain Queen, picked up by Netflix. And then, Michael, we have a bunch of star-studded films, especially from writer, director, actors that mm. are making their debuts in many a sense, whether it's uh, whether it's uh, 
you know, Michael Keaton from Knox Goes Away or, you know, Kristen Scott Thomas of North Star or, like we said before, uh, Anna Kendrick of the woman of the hour but we got a bunch of big movies starring some potentially big performances for the indie spirits perhaps like jody comer in the end we start from we have a uh, gonzo girl featuring willem dafoe again patricia arquette directing that wicked little letters olivia coleman jesse buckley the the list goes on chris pine not having a good start to his reception for pool man these movies we got to do a little centerpiece segment in the next episode we also got to talk about kind of the continued festival circuit play by anatomy of a fall all the way through you know the zone of interest naiad and rustin and all these uh movies that continue their festival circuit the holdovers etc michael and there's some shocking scores to go with some movies that we've reviewed both for the positive and the negative i mean pain hustlers Look, I, I didn't think Pain Hustlers, I thought it might be a conversation around the Oscars, but it is certainly not shaping up that way in the early uh, reviews. Yeah, they're early reviews, so I didn't want to dive into all of them today. We, we You know, they may still rebound, mm-hmm. you don't know, but yeah, it doesn't look good for some of those. And and look, we're, we're a week, or, well, what, we're five days away from the Audience Award, so yeah. that's in play too, like Which we always discuss. carries a lot of weight. Always, always, absolutely. They're never wrong this Toronto theater-going public. <laughs> well, I, I do want to one day make it to Toronto. If no other film festival, that's the one I want to I go. enjoyed Toronto. I've yeah. been there, and I've enjoyed it. However, I would When were love, you there? I was there for the UConn-Buffalo game back when I was a student. I went with my uncle, and it was a, it was a lot of fun. Really? A lot of fun. No kidding. Yeah, they have, like, tunnels throughout the whole city because so, it gets so cold. We were like walking tunnels, underground tunnels the whole time. It was freezing out. That's great. That's so cool. cool. It was cool. I love Toronto. I feel like every other country has means of uh, interstate travel that just puts ours to shame. Mm. Yes, I agree. Good, good. Glad we had this talk. (laughs) All right, Mike, we'll finish with a what we're watching make the case segment. And I rewatched bottoms because i wanted to confirm or deny how good i thought it was and i can confirm i think it's funny as hell like bottoms (laughs) still made me laugh like 50 times on rewatch i tweeted about it maybe it's because i'm working with high school kids every day so that's probably a part of this because uh old fogies out there like our pals (laughs) just gonna mention just gonna call them out for being old yeah andrew morgan (laughs) And, uh, yeah, recent activity. No, I'm, I'm kidding. Andrew didn't love it. I, uh, Eric didn't love it. Awards ace there. So th- this was surprising to me. Like, Bottoms just made me laugh the whole time. And, it, and it's a ridiculous, ridiculous premise. The likes of a Napoleon Dynamite, a Hot Rod, a Billy Madison. So, like, story is a bit secondary here. It's mostly just a showcase for Rachel Sennett and Io Adebari, which I, whose name I did learn to pronounce. Yeah, I've, I've learned we were very wrong about that. But this is the funniest in-theater experience. And, and I went with friends the first time, laughed my ass off and with a group, and then rewatched it and, and laughed my ass off with a bunch of strangers the second time, Bottoms, which was a lot of fun. But this is the funniest movie and the funniest experience I've had in movie theaters since maybe 2015. Wow. I was thinking that, you know, Deadpool, first Deadpool movie. I, I you laughed more at Deadpool in the theater than you did Dolomite? 
Dolomite, I laughed pretty hard. It's downpouring <laughs> outside. As it's, you know, I if can you hear it. That. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but Palm Springs was probably the funniest movie experiences we've had. But it was at home during a mm-hmm. pandemic. And we were so curmudgeony. Oh, my God. We were so curmudgeony that we didn't even laugh at Palm yeah. Springs enough the first time, right? No, we had to we're rewatch not, it again and again and again to fall in love with it. I was going to do a prop bet about how far away from a Rachel Senate Oscar nomination are we in terms of years. Oh, I hope we're close or we're closing in. If not, Iowa Debery, yeah. she's got to get one. But yeah, this, is, this is ingenious acting work because they pull off this exasperated hyperbolic tone this entire movie it's it's some cross between like a spoof not another teen movie and then like like just a really over-the-top satire like a heathers and i don't know how they pull it off but they do pull it off and it's just the absurd touches are there but it's somewhat grounded to the point where I, I care about their romantic lives and I care about them learning the lesson that is so very obvious here that they, you know, don't lie to all your, you know, new friends that you make about, you know, who you are to impress them. Mm-hmm. Of course, I mean, it's, you know, it's a simple premise. Be, be yourself and, 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 you know, they do it. They do everything wrong before they do everything right. And this, this is another mo- comedy that's figured out the tempo of what a good good comedy needs to be it needs to go batshit crazy at the end you gotta save the big kooky spectacle to the end you can't let it happen in the middle like we saw from from joyride or no hard feelings and then you got this stupid downward spiral premise that somehow gets fixed at the end like this movie is ridiculous (laughs) in its finale bottoms and i'm so glad that they pulled it off and landed it with me. So, look, it's not going to get a Best Original Screenplay nomination, but it should. It walks Emma Seligman. the tightrope. Yes. Uh, and I just, I, again, I, 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 don't, I don't care what uh, all my old fogey friends say out there. I loved it. <laughs> Shout out to Goats Guys. I, I love seen, guys. I've seen clips, and I think the, the tone mm-hmm. is aided by the fact that the authority seems like he is just a batshit individual like the the principal is not a real human being <laughs> well a- andrew's biggest issue is that everybody's crazy like the yes. principal and <laughs> like if you make a comedy where everybody is crazy it's hard to have something grounded yeah, like to rachel senate in. should not be one of the voices of reason in her role <laughs> well she's not i mean no yeah it's everybody is crazy this movie but somehow it worked for me but it works. I, I can't but i don't care it. i just laugh yeah. I, I laugh for 90 minutes though it's good it's probably something that I will get to once it comes to VOD for sure. Do it, you jerk. Uh, the Equalizer Three. <laughs> like, how have you not gone to see it yet? How did I get a backhanded insult like that? You're a jerk for not seeing it yet. I don't know it's how much more. Tough for me to I get could... out lately. I'm sorry. Yeah, I get it, but anyway, the Equalizer Three. This is Denzel Washington killing all the bad guys very easily. Part three, Beautiful. and it's not bad. It's not good. Like it's well made. He just kills the bad guys, and he doesn't even break a sweat. And there's, like, no tension or drama. Like, you know he's going to kill the bad guys, and then he kills them. Is it getting to the point yet where, like, his age is starting to make it a problem? It No, because all he does is walk around and kill them easily. Okay, all right. He walks around, uh-huh. and he easily murders them, like, very simply. I guess some people like going for drives on their weekends, and... 
others. So he could do 15 more of these because he doesn't even he doesn't even work hard. How so, is it in comparison to the first two? Have you well, seen those? At, you yeah, must- I can't remember them distinctively, but I remember a Home Alone sequence in the hardware store. Okay. I remember Denzel Washington getting into a fight in the middle of a hurricane. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, at least you have those sequences in the previous two films, which, I don't know. This movie is just him, uh, you know, it's just like, talk about a Western premise. You know, this, this you know, the old faster gun is on the lamb, and he falls in love with this little town, and then he realized this little town is getting bullied by the mob. <laughs> And As one does. Yeah, I mean, so he fights for them on their behalf. So, like, I don't understand, too, because we get close-ups of all the carnage. Like, we have to zoom in on the dead body and see the slit throat. And yet, he must be eating pasta this entire film, and we don't get one foodie close-up. That's why I'm upset with the Equalizer 3. Like, I have no grade for it. It's like a C, C minus. I don't know. I don't care. I wanted to see all this beautiful Italian food, and I didn't get to. When you finally make your great American picture, you're going to have, like, Bobby Flay as a special on-set console. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Well, that's why you go back to The Godfather. You could smell the, what they're eating. You could savor what they're eating. You could zoom in and see it. It's 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 a major factor for me. This film is about a man who has lost his family uh, he's trying to get back to his day-to-day life. He needs to reclaim himself. He's a, as a former addict. He's trying to piece his life. It's a heavy drama. Mike, why if, is Guy Fieri here? <laughs> <laughs> if you're going to do an Eat, Pray, Love, Denzel Washington, <laughs> Equalizer 3, but you don't show me the food, yeah, I mean, maybe Guy Fieri should have been a consultant here. <laughs> I would agree. You have everybody under contract with the Food Network on set. <laughs> The missed opportunity. All right, you've seen a bunch of stuff. I'm very curious. Yeah, I'm going to run this. through it. Uh, Please, I, I, it, it, not a lot of Oscar stuff. Um, I think I talked about Sanctuary already. That's the last place I left. You off. did like Sanctuary a lot. Yeah, like, we, we really, five. really good. A strong 84B. Really liked it. Was surprised by it. Uh, did that on the back of your review. I watched River Wild. Yes, I watched it too. It's a, it's a 77. It's a C plus for me. It's contrived. Mm-hmm. It's melodramatic. There's a pivotal scene that's just way too dark to almost see. It reminded me of that Game of Thrones episode. True, but yeah. This may be the perfect background movie. This is just <laughs> a simple plot. It's intriguing enough. There's names you know playing characters you don't usually see them playing. It keeps you invested. It's fine. It's easy it's to follow not, if you're doing other things. You it's like not it? a sequel to the the real no, Wild no, no, with no, no. Bacon and Streep. Okay, so it's not a remake either? No, no. It's All very right. different. All right, well. It's fine. It's a C plus movie. It's it is what it is. It's exactly what you think. They stole the title is what they did. They yeah. stole the title because there was another movie about rafters and in a you know a hostage. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. That was called The River Wild. Right. Uh, I watched BS High. Have you watched this yet? I still have not. I'm kind of saving it to like watch it with my dad on a Sunday night or something. Yeah. And you you guys as as high school football coaches, it's mm-hmm. about uh, I forget the name of the school bishop. Orchard was it? It's Bishop a fake something. school, yeah. it's right? A, and the guy, the head coach of it, is oh man, he does not come off as a guy that's got all his marbles there. He's a very wow. Very, it's a crazy story. Uh, highly recommended for a documentary. It's a B plus. I think it's on Max. Mm-hmm. Uh, Vacation Friends Two. It's, okay, I gave it a weak B minus, but in a good way. 
I am ashamed at how many times I laughed out loud during this movie. Good. Like, there's one scene where I laughed hard. It, it might be the hardest I laughed all, and it's so dumb. So stupid. I mean, John Cena's John Cena. Lil Rel's Lil Rel. Mer- Meredith Hagner is great. She might be like the new age Malin Ackerman. Just a comedy chameleon who can do anything. She's very, okay. very good. Uh, I'm high on that movie. It's a stupid, fun comedy. You could have it on in the background uh, as well. Look it. I mean, the Ben Stiller film with Malin Ackerman Heartbreak that Kid. she can't do anything, but... I, you didn't like the Heartbreak Kid? Absolutely not. Oh, the movie I was love that movie. The worst... I love that movie The so worst much. ending I've ever seen in a It's a bad ending. I agree with that. I agree with that. Um... Have you seen the Adam Sandler movie yet on Netflix? You are so not invited to my bar mitzvah. Yes, yes, I did. It was charming. It was cute. What'd you think? Yeah, I thought the the Sandler girls are, are talented. Yeah, I agree with that. It was funny, like all the ensemble people in it. Didn't did we talk about this on the air? Did we talk about this? I don't know if we did on the phone. This is why we need you. You need to stop talking on the phone with me. <laughs> Because anyway, no, I, I did like it. I liked it. I liked the, the kids. They were good. So I'm glad you liked it as well. Yeah, it was fine. It was, it was fine. It was, yeah, I agree. C it's plus. fine. It's, I gave it a C as well. Uh, no hard feelings. Also a C. It's pretty much the definition of a C plus. You mm-hmm. got to that. You felt kind of uh, similarly, I believe, if I remember correctly. Right. I might have been like B minus, but it, it was yeah. solid. It just the movie petered out. Like the ending was so lame. Yeah. Wasn't it? Yeah. It wasn't as. I think it's tough to stick those landings too, anyway, because you want you want the audience to leave happy, but it's such a unhappy story to get there in the first. But place. you need the bottoms football game. You need the Catalina <laughs> wine mixer. You need the Caddyshack, the Caddy yeah. tournament. You need these things. You need these big events to finish these movies. Um, so one big event that finished me. I did watch the Blackening finally. I was kind of oh, let down. I was kind of let down by it. I was expecting uh, more laughs. Uh, uh, I was I was kind of eh, maybe plus, maybe my expectations were down or low and yeah, I had high expectations for sure. Okay, but yeah, it's, it is what. Um, somewhere in Queens, I watched last night. Got my mean, shower. Yeah, look, <laughs> the girlfriend is a preposterously written character. Okay, <laughs> she. I mean, it's and I agree with you. Laurie Metcalf is great. I gave it a B minus, and it's basically on the shoulders of Metcalf's acting, right. but. That girlfriend, I mean, how was there no female in anyone? Like, was there a female attached to write this? It couldn't have been. I think it was Ray Romano, written and directed by him. I think. I I like the dad angle of it. Like, he's so smitten with the fact that his son was the star of the basketball team for a hot minute there. I agree. That kind of worked for me, but. I agree with that, and that's relatable. Uh, Yeah, Ray Romano and Mark Stegman. Were writers, I, I just think like the the altruism of this girl to take this on at the behest of the dad doing some borderline creepy shit. Mm. <laughs> like I borderline, no creepy, yeah, you know, yeah. outright creepy. Yeah, it was. It's a little much to take, but I'm glad Ray Romano kind of gets his comeuppance anyway. Uh, and his, but it's all over. Like the shame is over in like two scenes. It's crazy. It's like ah, oh, come on. He just stalked your high school girlfriend. He's not that bad a guy. <laughs> You needed more shame. Yeah, ridiculous. I agree. Um, the best thing I watched was the adults, and the adults rocked me. It's like a B plus for me. Good. Um, the third act in particular, I, <laughs> I mean, maybe it's probably because I have OCD and trouble coping with failure, and am also overall emotionally stunted. 
there's a fight in the third act that like I cringed at so hard, but I also related to in a big way. That's mm-hmm. like, God damn, this is real life and true to life. And I think those are three great performances by uh, by the three leads there. And I, I was just very, very high on the adults. And it's probably so, one of my top ten movies of the year thus far. So Scott Yeager of uh, Challenge Mania keeps, you know, messaging and texting me about the Saracons. Mm-hmm. Are you? Do you believe the Michael Saracons is happening? This was probably his best performance in any movie, right? Right. I mean, it's either this or this is the end. <laughs> yeah, why not? I mean, he, he was great at, in the Barbie movie. I think he was phenomenal in this. I don't know. I mean, well, it's not going to rise to the standard of any kind of Oscars, anything. But it's a great resume builder for him, for Sophia Lillis. Yeah. Sophia Lillis is theater kid cuteness overdrive, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, she's adorable in this. Yeah, she is. She is. I just, I just really like the story. Hannah Gross is great in it too. She is uh, very good. Yeah. Yeah, I'm just very, very high on it. I, that's if I think it's like five or six bucks right now on VOD. Good, good. Yeah, go. I mean, those, I are, mean, those are my reviews. Scott and I both liked it. I think uh, the end of it was the end of my movie watching day, so maybe I was. It had a few pet peeves for me, and but you're right, it's cringy cringiness i don't cope with as well as you do you're like well, I, my my upbringing was a lot of like just loud emotional outbursts but this <laughs> is well this is why for one another this is why some of these you know real indie films like these down and dirty real indie films that allow you know some of this to play out in a more realistic fashion like this is why you shocked me when you said you didn't like indie films that much, but you you could get this from anything from Mumblecore to yeah. some strange little French movie that you'll see at these festivals, or yeah, the adults, which is, you know. I'll it, tell you it, what I do appreciate about indie film though is yeah. that you can get these emotions and you can tell these stories in ninety minutes, a hundred minutes. Yes, yes. <laughs> you know, not everything has to be two hours and forty five minutes. You know, I almost went to uh, Joanne last night, and I couldn't, I couldn't bring myself to do it because it's two hours and forty five minutes. I knew it was going to be like an RRR level mm-hmm. experience, and I need to make time for it. And that's so maybe that'll be the next episode or the episode after that. But I'm, um, I can't wait to see that movie. Which was we were wondering what film might be the, you know, the sneaky hit for September. Mm-hmm. Maybe maybe Joanne is that that movie. Seven million at the U.S. box office have to do well. Does Dumb Money overseas. qualify? Because the box office won't even be released until it's October. That's that's right. So mm. I don't know. Mm. There you go. That is your Oscar race checkpoint. Uh, not quite wrapping up the TIFF Venice Film Festival double offering, as we will have another episode for you, like Mike previewed a couple minutes before we wrapped up at the end here. But we are getting near the end of TIFF and Venice with uh, New York on the horizon and some others. The fall festival is getting underway here. But as always, what's most important to us, dear listener, are your thoughts. We want to hear from you. want to hear from you about anything we talked about in this episode or anything we do here in the MMO Empire. As always, you can leave us those on our social medias. We are Mike, Mike, and Oscar on Facebook and Instagram at MM and Oscar on Twitter, Mike, Mike, and Oscar at gmail.com.com. And on Reddit, we're available wherever you do hear podcasts. And if you're listening to us on either the Apple Podcasts or Spotify apps, if you appreciate what we do and wouldn't mind leaving us a five-star review, those help us out immensely. Thank you to everyone who has done so thus far. Uh, 
Michael Sarah has a gambling problem in the adults too. That's I could relate to. Uh, Mike, <laughs> tell the good people what's coming next from us, and let's have some words of wisdom to end on. Well, we'll do that TIFF Part Two Oscar race checkpoint. There, uh, we'll eventually get to films like Dumb Money and Killers of the Flower Moon. But first, we'll have a Killers of the Flower Moon trailer two to discuss next episode. That kind of just dropped, and uh, you know we, we didn't have time to discuss it today. But yeah, a lot of these movies that are making their circuits around the country and certainly around the world priscilla saltburn ferrari etc you know I'm, I'm getting tickets to some of them at the new york film festival so i'll see those a little early and also you know they will hit and we'll review them as they do with the people it's going to be a fun fall here michael i'm excited for it but what what is wise to point out is that whatever movies win these festival awards they are 100% going to win the Oscars, and they are 100% going to get nominated, uh, and they are 100% going to become the front runners of these races, and and there, ergo, uh, we have to cover them as such. And yeah. this, this it, it is a certainty that all these film festival movies that hit will go on to all the awards. Yeah. There's nothing more important than the awards given out at film festivals except for maybe the standing ovations that their debuts That's right. uh, elicit at the end. We all I know love this it. to be true. Yeah. I love it because, we, yeah, we, we got a op- bunch of open races and we got new films coming to the forefront. It's a lot of fun. Uh, it is a lot of fun and we will be on top of all of it for you. Guys, when reality sucks... You can cover these festivals with us. We are Mike, Mike, and Oscar trying to make award season year-round without the stuffiness. That rain is unbelievable. I'm tired of it raining up here. It, it, it's hitting pretty hard here. Sorry. Tired of it. I'm just tired of the weather up here. <laughs> well, there's just a hurricane coming, so we'll be all right. Uh, Stay safe, everybody. Stay safe. We will talk to you all very soon. See you. See you.